Welcome to the Calvary Church Podcast. We're glad that you are here and that you can be a part of a recent service at TCC. So let's join the service, which is already underway, and listen to the message. We have been looking at what is referred to as the Gospels in the New Testament. And so you probably uh, are aware of those, what that means. Kristen did a great job teaching uh, the last few weeks. We are, we are using a resource just as something to, to kind of put out there. It's a resource called the Handbook on the Gospels. It's by a UPC author, an apostolic author called the, from the series, the Apostolic Handbook series. And so if you're taking Purpose Institute, uh, you will come across this book at some point in your journey with Purpose Institute. And it's a great, great resource. There are four books that represent what we call the Gospels. And Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are those four specific books in the New Testament. They kind of launched the New Testament. And we have specifically been looking at their authors and then their unique perspective and how they approach the telling of the story of Jesus Christ. And if we really think about it, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are foundational. They're absolutely foundational to our faith. They are the cornerstones of really what we have come to believe and know of Jesus Christ. Um, we, we realize that, that they answer some pretty important questions for us concerning Jesus. They answer the question, how did he spend his life on the earth? What did he teach? Who did he spend his time with? And, and different questions that, that they kind of answer. But each author, each book, takes it from a little bit of a different perspective. And typically, it's because of, number one, their own unique experience as individuals, number two, their unique perspective on why they're writing the book. And so we look at these gospels and they give us a, a real glimpse of who Jesus is. The, the, the real importance of all the gospels is the fact that Jesus is the answer, that he's the answer for the world. And all of them come to that conclusion and they're, they're, they're bringing us to that realization albeit in sometimes unique ways. He is the solution to our problems. He's the hope of the world. And so that's what the Gospels are pointing us towards. John's viewpoint on Jesus in his writings was to make sure everyone knew Jesus was God. He had time, as Kristen alluded to, to reflect on what he experienced with Jesus. He had time to reflect what happened after Jesus, and he had time to reflect even on what others said, and John was the last one to write about Jesus, and, and he wrote for the express reason. John chapter 20, verse 30 tells us, and truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. And so the point in doing so was to illustrate the fact that Jesus was the fulfillment 
of all the religious gatherings and all those things that were happening among them. And he was the Passover lamb. He was the light of the world. He was the tabernacle, the living water. And so John's gospel is very important in helping us know that Jesus is God. And then Mark's viewpoint, Kristen taught on that last week, Mark's viewpoint on Jesus was that Jesus was a servant. And Mark was providing the the Roman audience to a quick fact-filled version of Peter's perspective of Jesus. And he was trying to help it resonate with them with what he penned. And he was trying to demonstrate that Christ was a servant. It's a simple gospel. It was the first gospel that was written. And it really just points us to the fact that Christ was a servant to the point of the cross. It really leads us to that and that he died to serve you and I. And now let's consider the gospel according to Luke. And I don't know if you have a favorite gospel or one that stands out to you, but hopefully as we're kind of walking through these gospels, that you take the time to read the gospel. I looked quickly uh, at what it would take to read the book of Luke. It will take you two and a half hours to read the book of Luke, 24 chapters in the book of Luke. So that's, if you want to read it in a week, it would take you 20 minutes a day to finish the book of Luke and to finish the book of Matthew. But I want to take a look at Luke because there's some very interesting things. Every time I study these characters, I resonate with certain aspects. But as we start the book of Luke, you're going to realize that I don't resonate completely with the man Luke. First off, he was a Gentile. That I resonate with. Although I... My grandfather was a Jew. I am a Gentile, and I accept that tonight. But Paul seems to distinguish between, and this is how we know that Luke was a Gentile. Paul, in his writings in Colossians, seems to distinguish between those who were Jews and Gentiles at the conclusion of his book. And so he lists those of the quote-unquote circumcision, and he, he creates this list. And in fact, Mark John Mark is listed in his writings there in Colossians that he is one of the circumcision. And then he categorizes these non-Jewish individuals, and this is where we find uh, really the, the, the best reference to realize that Luke was a Gentile. He was a non-Jew. And so, as Kristen mentioned early, I think in her first lesson, that the Gospels come from Jews. The Gospel comes from Jews. Now, We have to take into consideration, though, that Luke was a Gentile writer of the gospel, but as we'll find, his viewpoint is from a Jewish viewpoint. And so it was through these accounts that Luke, these Jewish accounts, that Luke drew his story and he came up with his writings. The second thing, so he's a Gentile, number one. The second thing we understand about Luke, and this is where I jump off the train, Luke was very intelligent, very intelligent. I think that's interesting. I think that's great. I don't know what that says about Mark or John, but it's, it's very different. It's very different. So his IQ, most scholars would say his IQ was on par with Paul. 
Paul was a very brilliant man. Both of them were brilliant because the Spirit enabled them to be brilliant. But, but Paul and Luke were very brilliant men. Paul was more brilliant in that he was philosophical. He could draw from the Old Testament and make ties. And, and even Peter said, sometimes it's a little hard to understand what Paul says. He was just that kind of guy. Luke is up there with Paul in his IQ. So we find that, that in Colossians, when Luke is, or Paul is writing about those who are with him, he writes and he says this in Colossians 4.14, Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. So he's recognizing that not only is Luke a, uh, a Gentile, but Luke is a physician. And so he is uh, very smart in, in regards to uh, his day on, on the human body. Um, but he, you watch as he writes, he's, he's brilliant. And this is found in his actual, actual language that he writes in. And he, he wrote, commentators and scholars will tell you, he wrote the best Greek of any of the New Testament writers, including Paul. He had the best Greek that one could use. And we all know there's a difference in language, let's be honest. You know, when you, you know, depending on where you're from in the country, English is a little bit different. There's, I'm not going to get too involved in that, what I'm, that train that I'm on right now, but I'm just going to tell you there's certain places, you know, and you could even say America versus England, right? If a person has an English accent, they're just smart. They just are smart. It's just how it comes out. They use words, the way they form the words, it's just they're smarter than everybody else. Luke was, he used a certain type of Greek that separated him from the other writers, and I think that's important to understand. He, Dr. Vernon McGee, who's a, a great theologian, he wrote this about Luke. He said that uh, Luke wrote the best Greek we have in the New Testament, and he then begins to share about how he taught Greek in Bible college. He said, it was my privilege for two years to teach first-year Greek uh, students, and he said, we always concluded the end of that semester with those first-year Greek students. We would read the Gospel of John, and he said we would read it in Greek. And so he said, very frankly, it was easy to read. And so he said, many of the students, when they had finished reading the book of John, thought they had Greek mastered. So then I would have them turn to the book of Luke and read the book of Luke in Greek, and they wondered if they knew any Greek at all. And so Jeff Brickle, who wrote the book, The Apostolic Handbook, he said this, if Mark's gospel was casually dressed in leisure wear, suitable for the mysterious runner, Luke's was more properly attired in a three-piece tux. And so that's just interesting that Luke was a brilliant man Brilliant in understanding, brilliant in understanding language. And the, the next thing we understand is he was well-connected. He was well-connected. He traveled extensively. So he begins his gospel by saying, writing to a person who he considers, I think, a friend or some kind of a, a, a great acquaintance, and he says, most excellent Theophilus. Now, 
Scholars, some scholars wonder if, uh, some people wonder, is he writing specifically uh, to a group of people because Theophilus means friend of God. But because he tags it with most excellent Theophilus, most scholars believe that he is writing to somebody in the Roman government, some Christian who is in the Roman government. So think about the influence, think about that society, who would have been the educated people in that society, would have been those in government. And so when he begins his, his writings, uh, he, he writes, and we'll get to this, but he writes the, the most brilliant scholarly Sentence. His first sentence of his gospel is four verses in the Bible, and it's considered one of the most brilliant writings in Greek. And so he's very connected. He's connected to people. He's connected to Theopolis, the Roman government. He's also connected to Mary, the mother of Jesus. And so, again, most scholars believe the first two chapters of the book of Luke is his account of what Mary told him happened. So he's connected to Mary, the mother of Jesus. We know through Paul's writings, the epistles, he's also connected to Peter, and he's also connected to Mark. We stated that Mark was the first gospel. Uh, Matthew and Luke both used Mark as a reference point for some of their uh, stories as well. So he was connected to Mark, and Paul lists him in the same uh, book, in the same chapter, that they were both with him. And then we, we, as we've been saying, Paul really references him. Paul is referencing him, and he is considered the beloved physician, not just a physician that's with me, but man, do I love this guy. This guy is really helping me out. And he was such a, such a loyal person to Paul that even at the end of Paul's life, even at the end of Paul's life, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 9. Watch this. Now, we read in Colossians where Paul references two people, right? He references my beloved physician and who? Demas. All right, now in 2 Timothy, as he's nearing the end of his life, he says this, be diligent to come to me quickly, for Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world and has departed for Thessalonica, Cretans for Galatia, and Titus for Dalmatia. Only Luke Only Luke is with me. And then he says that famous thing we say about Mark. Get Mark. Remember, Paul didn't want Mark at first. He was mad because he left him hanging. And he said, get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for ministry. And so Luke is a well-connected person. He's he's a Gentile. He's very intelligent. He's well-connected. And then finally, he is a great historian. He is a great historian. Luke was meticulous in the details. In the telling of the birth of Christ, he offers great, great detail. He announces the shepherds. He talks about the songs that were sung. He talks about the dedication in the temple. He talks about Jesus as a 12-year-old boy. He's meticulous in the details. He's writing them down. He researches the account, and he tells about Jesus. And as I mentioned, he uses other people to help him, other eyewitnesses, to craft a very detailed explanation of what happened while Jesus was alive. 
Now, I want us to look at this in Luke chapter 1, verse 1. Luke chapter 1, verse 1. It says, in so much, this is so Luke is beginning this great book of history, and he says, in so much as many have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us. So he said, there's already some people who have written, I'm going to write something else. Just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word deliver them to us, it seemed good to me also having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus, that you may know the certainty of those things in which you were instructed. That's his opening sentence. Now, there's a couple things in there quickly that I'll, I'll just show you. The first thing is that those who were from the beginning, he, it's translated eyewitnesses, those who were eyewitnesses. Now, what's interesting about that, that particular word eyewitness is found nowhere else. Only Luke uses that Greek word. And it's a Greek word called atoptis, atoptis, which we get our word autopsy. So he's using a medical term here that they're not just eyewitnesses, they saw something, but he's saying that they have examined, they have looked at the details, they've, they've examined it, and they are ministers of the word, delivered them, and, and they delivered it to us. So he's very confident. There's a sense of confidence in what he's writing, that there has been a thorough examination of what has happened. And then in verse 3, um, the King James and the New King James use this phrase, having had perfect understanding. In my opinion, it's not the best translation. It's not the greatest translation because in a way for us in our culture, it seems like he's bragging a little bit. He's like, some other people wrote a, some gospels and they did okay. But I have perfect, I have perfect understanding. And so I'm going to tell you exactly what happened. But Luke was not trying to supersede the other Gospels. He was trying to state that he had done a lot of research. And so in the ESV, I, I like what it says. It says in verse 3, It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely, having really looked into the matter, I write to you an orderly account. And so his veracity for details can be seen in that he wrote not just one volume of history, so we're talking about the book of Luke, but Luke also wrote another volume called the book of Acts, and that is absolutely important. He wrote the book of Luke and the book of Acts. It's a massive literary piece. It's one quarter of the New Testament this Gentile wrote, meticulous detail. Think about the detail that we read about in Luke, and then you read about, we're all familiar probably more with the book of Acts, the detail that he wrote. It's absolutely amazing. They say that if you would place a scroll that spanned both the, Luke, the, the book of Luke and the book of Acts, if you rolled out the scroll of how long he wrote, it would be 32 to 35 feet of detail. And he was he was uh, absolute scholar and a historian. The man loved the details. And again, 
That's where maybe I jump off the train a little bit. I thank God he did, though. I thank God that he was into the details because our doctrine of repentance, water baptism, and the infilling of the Holy Spirit is found because of the writings of Luke. Sometimes you need people who are into the details. Anybody in this room into the details? Anybody sitting next to somebody who's into the, sitting next to somebody who's into the details and you hate them for it? <laughs> but we're going to appreciate you people tonight. This is your lesson. This is your lesson. When you overwhelm us with all the details, we're going to appreciate you tonight. So let's consider the writings of, of Luke. The first four verses, as we mentioned, are, are just classic. They're, they're academic in nature. But then, as he switches gears after those four verses, he, he really, he doesn't dumb it down, but it's not as scholarly. And so he starts to use a more common language, the language of the village and the language of the street. And so he, he kind of switches gears. And as I mentioned, he most likely interviewed Mary, the mother of Jesus, and he found out the details of her birth. And so Luke, being a doctor, would have been interested in various aspects that had to do with the medical profession. And he, he looks at all the details, and he looks at what Mary told him. He looks at what Peter and John told him. And, and no doubt, he was asking questions and digging into things. And then he writes this to this guy named Theophilus. He grabs all these details, and then he begins to write to this man, Theophilus. And Luke's real, if you're going to sum up Luke, you're going to realize that Luke really was writing and pointing out that Jesus was a man. Jesus was a man. That he was a real man that existed. He was a his, real historical figure. Think how important that would be to understand that he was a real historical figure. And so when you look at even in Luke chapter 3, his genealogy, right? He, he writes one of two genealogies. Matthew writes the other. He traces that genealogy, and he, he uses the term that, that he traces it from Joseph, but really it's Mary's genealogy, and he says they supposed it was Joseph. They, he traces it in that way, but he traces it all the way back to Adam. He wants people to know that Jesus came through the lineage of man. He, he was a man. And so uh, a real quick outline of Luke, and if you want to write this down, you can. Chapters 1 through 3 deal with the birth of the perfect man and his family. So chapters 1 through 3. Then he moves into the testing of this man and the rejection by his hometown. So the birth of the man, the testing of the man, and then he gets into the ministry of the man, Jesus Christ. And so he talks about that in basic three areas. He talks about Jesus in Galilee. He talks about Jesus in Jerusalem. And then he talks about Jesus in Jericho and Jerusalem combined. And so you can kind of divide that out. Chapter Chapter 5 through 9 is about Galilee, 10 through 18 about Jerusalem, and 19 through 21 about Jericho and Jerusalem. And so then he, in chapters 22 and 23, he gets into the betrayal, the trial, and the death of this man. And then in chapter 24, he begins the idea of the resurrection. 
And then finally, he concludes the end of 24 with, in, cha- in chapter 24, verse 50 through 53, not just the resurrection of the man, but then the ascension of the man, Jesus Christ. So he's pointing out that Jesus was a man. That's really what makes him the Lamb of God. He was a man that uh, came and died on this earth. He died and he rose again. Luke is emphasizing the fact that he was a man that was resurrected in his gospel. So this emphasis on humanity is found not only in the story of Jesus, but this is what I want to conclude with tonight. He emphasizes that it wasn't just a story about the humanity of Jesus, but it's also the people that Jesus ministered to and the parables that Jesus told. Luke was all about helping us understand humanity. I think this is incredible. Luke gives us 20 miracles. Luke gives us 20 miracles that Jesus did. Six of them are not recorded in any other gospel. He likewise gives us 23 parables, all right, 23 parables. 18 of them are not found in any other gospel. Parables like the prodigal son, parables like the good Samaritan. And so these parables speak to the humanity that that Jesus was, but also the lost humanity that was Around and how Jesus was looking to reach lost humanity. And in considering Luke's impressive credentials and his cultured identity, we might be tempted to think that the gospel was intended for the elite. However, Luke's gospel emphasizes the social outcast and those who have been marginalized and the issue of wealth. He deals with these issues. Think about it now. He's sending this to most excellent Theophilus, speaking about Jesus the man, speaking how Jesus humbled himself and was reaching all kinds of people, even the outcast. Think about one of the, the first things that Luke writes in Luke chapter 4. He writes and he, he brings in Isaiah chapter 64. The spirit of the Lord is upon me, Jesus said. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And Luke records he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And everybody looked at him in the synagogue. And Jesus said, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Making sure that people understood Jesus is not afraid of the outcast. And so then he looks at other miracles, other things. And and some scholars, and I thought this was interesting, some scholars think that, and in a modern study, there was a study done on Luke, and they believe that Luke was actually trying in some of his writing to demonstrate to a culture who felt like if you were sick that you, there was something wrong with you. It was Luke who was trying, the physician, trying to help them understand that this is a misconception. He overturned this misconception that a person's physical deformities were the result 
of his or her character flaws. Isn't that interesting that the physician would point out that there, this is not a character flaw, but it's an opportunity for God to get glory out of their lives. That he's not afraid of the outcast. He's not afraid of the sick. It doesn't disconnect one from Jesus Christ. And let me just add then, as we're talking about those maybe distant, it was Luke. Interestingly enough, Luke's gospel also hones in on the critical place of women among Jesus' followers. Now, isn't that interesting? Luke elevates women in his gospel from the beginning where he talks about two women playing very, very important roles, Elizabeth and Mary. He introduces us to these women, and he says they're playing a very important role. And so he introduces us very early to Anna, who uh, Kristen spoke a, a message on not long ago, but her role as a prophetess. He introduces this idea that Anna was able to be a prophetess, and she saw, she could hear the voice of God. She could experience. This was, this was not a just common, accepted uh, belief. And so Luke is really elevating the role of women in his gospel. And I, I, I don't have time to really go into all these, but think about Martha and Mary. Remember the story of Martha and Mary? It's Luke who really talks about this story. And the whole deal with Martha and Mary is not about it, there's a lot of things you can pull from it, so let me say that. But it's not just about the importance of prayer, all right? It's important. It's not just discounting those who are involved in petty things and working when they should be praying. That's a great application. But more importantly, what Luke was trying to point out was that Mary, that a woman, could have the opportunity to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, See, they wouldn't have assumed that they could sit in the presence of a rabbi. And so Luke is helping them understand, no, you're just as valuable as a disciple as any of these disciples are. Mary, you have chosen the important thing to sit at my feet, to realize you have the opportunity to do something as well. You think about Luke, and so from the beginning to the end of Luke, who's he talking about? He, he references women. He talks about, about the men and the women. He talks about children. He's talking about those who are maybe on the outsides of what is the religious norm or the, the socially acceptable. And, and at the end, he talks about the women who went into the tomb and found Jesus, and there's so many amazing things that, that he uses to reference. And, and there's about 10 things that I could list you where he tells a parable about a man, and then he tells a parable about a woman. Think about the, the lost sheep. The parable of the prodigal son is three parables, but he starts with the sheep, then he talks about a woman who lost a coin in her house, and then he talks about a prodigal son. And he does that over and over again. Luke emphasizes that uh, there is a place and a, a great place for women in the kingdom of God. And I thank God for it. And so, finally, one of the greatest things that Luke does is not just tell us a story about Jesus Christ. That's a great thing, to tell us a story about Jesus Christ. But Luke does something that the others don't do as as effectively, I should say, Luke connects us to the life of Christ 
And then he connects every believer to what happened on the cross. See, when we, we read, Luke gives us this clarity of why Jesus' life matters to us and what we should do because he died, was buried, and rose again. See, let's look at Luke chapter 24 as we close here tonight before we go into a little app time. Luke chapter 24, I want you to look at it with me. Now watch what Luke says here in this verse 43. Remember, this is the end. And he took it and ate in their presence. All right, that's not just a small verse. He's pointing out that Jesus is a man, that this resurrected Jesus was a man. And so he says, and he took it and ate it in their presence. Then he, Jesus says to them, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses, the prophets, the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. Then he said to them, thus it is written, thus it's written in the Old Testament, and thus it was necessary for Christ, me, to suffer on the cross and to rise from the dead on the third day. Why was this important? That repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. Behold, Jesus said, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. These are the words of Jesus. That repentance and remission of sins should be preached in Jesus' name, beginning at Jerusalem. Why? Behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you, but wait there in Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. So Luke pens those words. Peter is standing there when Jesus says those words. So that's why it absolutely makes sense that in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2, that Luke would write about what Peter does on the day of Pentecost. He says, when, when they began to speak in tongues and they had this amazing experience, the, 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 he preached a message, Peter preaches a message, and they go, what should we do? All those who had gathered said, what should we do? Since we've heard this, since we've seen this, since we realize that Jesus Christ is God and that, that, that he has died for our sins, what are we supposed to do about that? And it was Luke who pins it and recalls what Peter said. And what I, I think is so amazing, and I get real excited about it because it's so clear, Peter is not making up some formula. He's repeating what Jesus said. So when people say, well, well, I only follow what Jesus said. Well, Jesus said it. Peter just repeated it. What did Luke say that Peter said? Peter said, men and brethren, what, or they said, what should we do? Then Peter said, repent. That repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name. Repent. And then he, Peter makes the application written by Luke that 
You should, every one of you should be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? For the remission of sins. Why can we have confidence in what Peter said? Because Jesus said, I opened their understanding about the scripture. I opened it up. So, so Peter says that repentance and this whole thing of remission of sins that Jesus said, it happens in baptism. And then he says, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. What does he tie the Holy Spirit to? For the promise. Jesus said, I'm going to send forth the promise of my father. He says, and so Peter says, for the promise. He's quoting Jesus for the promises unto you, to your children, and all those who are far off, even as many as our Lord our God shall call. Thank you, Luke for being so meticulous in your detail. Thank you, Luke, for connecting what Christ did on the cross to how you and I can experience the wonder of salvation and the wonder of the gospel. And so I want us to just understand that in light, he was an intelligent physician, a brilliant historian, but he is not seeking to just give us information Luke is not writing so we can just have some information about the life of Jesus. Luke seeks to bring God's role in the history of mankind. It's not just information for information's sake, but he's bringing God into the history of mankind. And he states that I have examined this life of Jesus of Nazareth, and I've looked at it from every angle you can look at it. And this man, Jesus, he was God. And he came to the same conclusion that John came to, although his procedure and his technique was a little bit different. And so I conclude again with Luke chapter 1, verse 1. Insomuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. They've told us about it. It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. Why? That you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. Have confidence, Theophilus, that this man, Jesus Christ, did this all for you. No matter who you are, no matter where you're from, this guy, this man did it for you, and he is God. Hallelujah. And so our questions for app time, and just for sake of clarity, app stands for application. Uh, in case you didn't know that, um, we're not talking about phone apps. We're, we're talking about application. So let's make a little bit of application. Hopefully, you're next to somebody. I'm just going to give you a couple minutes. Uh, I'll try to let you out a little bit early tonight. But how do you most relate with the gospel of Luke? Two questions. Answer one or the other. How do you most relate with the gospel of Luke? Or in what ways or way do you see God's hand in your Life, So Luke could follow, he could follow the hand of God from Luke to Acts. He saw God's work in the history of what was happening. And I guarantee you, many of you tonight, if you look back on your life, you see the hand of God. There's some details. Now, you might have not written them all down, 
But there's some details you know about your life that you know this was the hand of God. This was not an insignificant moment in my life. And so I, I want you to take just a couple minutes. I don't know if we've got app music yet. We need to find some good app music. Uh, but I want you to just take a few minutes and answer these two questions. How do you most relate with the gospel of Luke? Or in what way or ways do you see God's hand in your life? All right. Well, why don't you stand tonight? And it's uh, kind of hard to stop talking sometimes and in these kind of settings, too, when you got to get to tell your story a little bit and uh, thank God for what he's doing among us. I thank God for our man, the detail man, Luke. And so we're going to just pray that the Lord would just continue to give us courage to be who he's calling us to be. God, I thank you for tonight. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the ability, God, to look into your word and just be able to see our lives in it so many different ways. God, while we might not relate specifically to Luke and maybe his life, but Lord, we, we recognize that what he was writing about and who he was writing to, God, is very much uh, who we are sometimes. And I pray that you just give us courage, Lord, to live out our faith, continue to let our lives be ordered of you, that we see you in every detail. As minute of a detail as it is, I pray that we would find you in every area of our story, in every detail of our story. In Jesus' name, thank you for tonight. Amen. This podcast was brought to you by the Calvary Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. For more information about the Calvary Church, please visit our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Consider joining us for a service where you will find friendly people, high-energy music, and life-transforming preaching and teaching from a biblical worldview. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or on our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Until next time, thanks for listening.